This episode of Boob Sweat is brought to you by Mega Babe. If you didn't already know, I founded my personal care brand, Mega Babe, a few years ago to solve real problems with cute solutions. Even though I founded the brand, I am not qualified to do every single job, which is why I hire wonderful people like our customer service wizard, Britt. I've brought Britt on here to help answer a question. Hi, Britt. Hey, Katie. All right, Britt, go ahead. Bonnie said she's a super sweaty girl, and she asked how we can help with sweat that's showing through her clothes. Bonnie, 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 have I got some answers for you. We have several different solutions, starting with our bus dust, which is a hands-free way to apply our telc-free powder into your bra. You just literally pump it in there. It was the second product that we launched with. We also have our dust puff, which helps making apply powder to your body really easy because it helps with the mess. It also puts the powder on really evenly. Our dust puff is kind of awesome. And if you're not into powder, we actually have a cool product called Magic Powder. I know it says powder in the name, but it's actually a lotion. You apply it in a thin layer and it dries with a powder finish. I put it right under my boobs and sometimes under my butt cheeks. It's awesome. And don't forget, we also have body dust, which is the same great formula as our bus dust, but with a different applicator. So if you're not a fan of the pump, this comes with a sprinkle applicator, so you can easily apply it anywhere that you experience sweat throughout the day. Britt, you're right. Body dust, of course, duh. Thank you so much for always knowing more than I do. And for a limited time, I'm offering Boob Sweat listeners 15% off your order at megababeauty.com with the code boobsweat15 at checkout. Now, on to the pod. Hi, I'm Katie Storino, and this is Boob Sweat. There are a lot of things out there that make us sweat, but don't worry, you're not alone. We are here to talk about it. Welcome back to Boob Sweat Season 3. Can you believe we've, we've done two full seasons and we're back for another very exciting season. My favorite episodes from the last couple seasons included my listeners. So this season, it's all about you guys. Each episode, I'm going to ask you for your questions about anything and everything. And keeping me on message this season is none other than Maddie Higley. She is back in the building. She's alive. She's here. (laughs) Maddie, can you believe we're back together? No, but also yes. Yes, it feels very natural. Yeah, it feels right. It I just we just fell back into it. I know. And guess what? I'm not upset. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> She's medium. Very happy. <laughs> Good. So Maddie, what have you been up to? Where have you been? Oh gosh, I don't know. I've been um doing a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I've been freelancing. Yeah. So I've been doing some pod stuff, some social media stuff, some stalking Katie on Instagram stuff. Sure, sure, sure. sure. The whole gamut. (laughs) What about you? What have you been up to? You've had a lot going on. Oh, Maddie, I I went from a no homeowner to a two homeowner. Two? Yes. We recently bought a house in Maine. Oh, my gosh. So now we have a house in Maine and we have a condo in Florida. And you know what? It's a lot of work. And that's what they told me. And I said, you don't know what you're talking about. But guess what? (laughs) I'm learning. Yeah. 
That's exciting, though. That's a big, big oh, move. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so. And, and people are like, did you leave New York? Uh, no, I didn't leave New York. Uh, for the time being, we are triangulating between Palm Beach, Florida, New York, and Maine, uh, and seeing if that's the kind of sustainable, a kind of a sustainable life for us. Um, I don't know if it is, but it, it's it's what I want for now. And if the pandemic has shown us anything, shown us a lot of things, uh, it it's really. I don't know. It's opened my eyes to the fact that I really need to be in nature more. And I also need to be in the city. And I I just need to make those things happen because time clicks by pretty quickly. And uh, sometimes you just got to push go. Yeah. You got to be happy for now forever. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Cool. Also, Katie, you wrote a book, which is a very big. What? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What? I did? <laughs> I, did? <laughs> I did write a book. And th- it's not like when, when I did my book for Toast, my dog, uh, in 2013, 2014. When that book came out, Toast Hampton, I was very much like, Toast wrote a book. And this time I still have, I have a similar attitude. I'm like, yeah, I, wrote, I guess yeah. I wrote this book. But yes, I, I, wrote the, I wrote a book called Body Talk. And I wrote it with um, one of my best friends, Amelia yes. Diamond. Who called the hotline yes, yesterday. Came... <laughs> oh, she warned me she was going to call the she hotline. She did. Oh, man. I, and she knows you're, yes. you're fielding messages. Yes, I texted her yesterday because I just saw it late at night. I was like, <laughs> I just need to answer your pressing call. <laughs> That's great. I really like that a lot. Um, I hope that you guys call the hotline sometimes too the the numbers in the show notes and we have we have hotline questions um coming through this entire season and i really am looking forward to that i think it really helps bring you guys into these episodes uh and that makes it really fun for me too yeah also kitty i have a personal question how is cheese oh she um i don't know cheese's stock has gone down (laughs) i think she's (laughs) she's she's snoring more she's like barking more and she's just being less of like a log and just more in my face a lot and that sometimes i don't like (laughs) is that too real of an answer because i'm just like you know what you weren't a star on social media like like you know you didn't really you didn't capture the public's attention and now you're barking (laughs) at me she captured my attention i love cheese (laughs) (laughs) i am making some jokes here but i do love cheese a lot We've gotten very close. We're a one dog family yeah. now. So we've gone down to one dog and that has, um, the dogs have become much less of like a center of my life. Yeah. It's different when you have three or four dogs. Like, it's a very it's like, different lifestyle. Yes. It's dog yeah. talk. It's a lot of dog talk. Yes, I agree. How's John? What's John up to? John graduated law school and passed the bar. Oh, congrats to John. Yes, I'm very proud of him. I'm very proud of him. I've never, you know, those times in your life when you really work, I know people are always working hard, but like when you really work hard and you know it and you did it. Feels good. This was just, he really did it. Like he really, I don't know. He showed law school who was boss and he is taking some time off right now. Um, to find a job that that he really wants yeah, to do. It's awesome, cool. And then, I guess, how's Mega Babe? 
I feel like I already got a lot of this info through Lauren because when <laughs> we were on our last call, I'm like, how is everyone? Lauren is, yeah, Lauren's my assistant. Um, she does the job that Maddie used to do. And I don't know, they can definitely probably commiserate about, <laughs> about working, working with Memento, yeah. which is what I call myself because I have no memory. It's like a sorority. All of your assistants. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, I think it is. Like, I think it's fun, but maybe everyone's kind of like, it. maybe it's like a, mm, like a survival group for, <laughs> for a support group. Like gone, support group. There we go. It's, a, it's one of those things where it is very much like nobody knows the experience <laughs> if you haven't been through it. <laughs> and it's very rewarding. Man. But you know what? Man. Thanks. Yeah. How appropriate. Is it for us to have a catch up on the episode about friendship, huh? Oh, I love that. Yes. We did an episode last season, which you should listen to because it's totally different than this episode. We talked with Dr. Miriam Kermeyer on the last episode as well. And I thought it was fascinating. I mean, we talked about that one, uh, that one statistic that 50% of all friendships are unrequited, which I thought was crazy, but makes sense. No, I don't know. Yeah, Yeah, it it is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) But I I also think friendships are so interesting because we talk so much about our romantic partners. We talk so much about, um, do they like me? Are we close? Are we not close? You're always working on your romantic relationships, but we're very rarely working or examining our friendships, just our regular friendships, when our friendships, quite frankly, are the ones that get us through life so often. We took your questions from Instagram and we got voicemail questions and we really went to town with Dr. Miriam and she gave some very interesting interesting answers. And just for a refresher, Dr. Miriam is a clinical psychologist and leading friendship expert who has studied the science of social connection for over a decade. Her work focuses on helping others cultivate resilience and self-compassion, navigate life transitions, and build stronger relationships with the people who matter most. I love that. And I would say with a, with a global pandemic and I don't know, a lot of weird energy in the universe, making and maintaining friendships is more important now than ever. So let's get into it. Here's our Q&A with Dr. Miriam. Thank you so much, Miriam, for coming back on. Thank you. I'm so glad we made this work. We did an episode with you last season about friendship, and it was one of my favorite episodes because I I love these different scenarios people submitted, and I thought your answers um, were so helpful. And we have a ton of questions, so let's dive in. These questions came in via Instagram. A close friend has a new boyfriend and cannot juggle her friendships with her new relationship. How do I deal? Mm. Yeah, this is, again, one of those friendship experiences that I think so many people will relate to. And truthfully, on both sides. I mean, I I think all of us can think of that friend uh, or that time in our lives when we felt somewhat abandoned by a friend when they started a new relationship. And certainly, uh, you know, a lot of us will relate to the other side of this, Mm -hmm. which is when we start those new connections and when we're building that closeness and intimacy, 
it's exciting. It's it's thrilling, right? It's a magical it's, time. It is. And so we do want to throw ourselves into those relationships in many ways. But sometimes that does come at the expense of our connections. And mm-hmm. so there's a lot of different ways that we can handle this. I think first and foremost, it's very easy to label our friends or to get into that headspace where we're channeling those feelings of whether it's anger or sadness or even jealousy. And so instead of going to that place where we're reacting to those emotions and what that might look like is blaming our friend or telling them how we hate that they ditched us and using that kind of language, Mm -hmm. what we really want to access are the reasons why we feel that way, which is that we value the friendship. We value the connection that we have and our feelings are valid. That sadness is valid. That jealousy is valid. But if we can access the reason why those feelings are coming up and take a pause before we react, the conversation is likely to be much, much more constructive. And so we can then approach our friend and say something like, you know, I, I I feel like since you got into this relationship, I've noticed that we have less time together or that we don't speak as often as we used to. Give a few key examples without going overboard and then express what you really want. Mm. So it's not just coming from a place of venting. It's saying, I miss, I miss us. I miss mm. the time that we used to spend together. I miss being able to do these kinds of activities. Do you miss that too? Is there a way that we can make this work? And approaching that conversation from that place of both curiosity, but also compassion. And you can validate, right? I know this is exciting. I'm happy for you that you're in this relationship. This is amazing. I love to see you so happy, but I also miss us. I think those are the types of sentiments that we want to express. Actually, that makes me think of another piece of this, which is that the second piece isn't only what you say to the person, right? The the other piece is managing your own emotions and experiences. And that can take many different forms because it depends on why those feelings are coming up. Sometimes it's also frustrating or we might be feeling that sense of uh, envy even because Mm. we ourselves are looking for a connection in our life or because we've experienced those feelings of abandonment in other relationships, whether it's friendships or otherwise. And so being able to kind of acknowledge what we're feeling, validate our own feelings to say to ourselves, it's okay that I'm feeling this. This doesn't make me a bad friend. This doesn't make me a bad person. That too can be really helpful, both for channeling that comfort and then also obviously, again, having those constructive conversations. I like that. Good advice. Good stuff. I um I think the second question also from Instagram is very this I really feel. How can I pick back up friendships that faded over quarantine? Yeah. This is definitely something that a lot of us I think are are going through in different ways and and it's not specific to quarantine. It's not specific to the pandemic because what we do see is that friendships do ebb and flow for so many different reasons and it is very normal to grow apart, have that slow fade is what we call it, uh, or or that gradual distance. But we can also be in a place where then we want to reconnect for a variety of reasons. And I think we, we tend to feel really vulnerable when we go to that place because we might be wondering or worrying that the other person isn't on the same page, that maybe they've moved on, that they're no longer interested in becoming friends. There's also a lot of anxiety that can come up. Well, how do I actually broach that conversation and what's the right way to do this? And social media also, frankly, makes this very complicated because in another world where that didn't exist, if we ran into somebody on the street, you know, we could ask, hey, what's been going on in your life in a very genuine way? Yeah. But now when we're staying connected, we 
a lot of us know exactly what's happening in this other person's life. And so then we kind of need to get into the strange dance where we're asking, but we know what's really happening, but we feel yeah. like, should I know this? Is that strange that I know and exactly? And there's FOMO too, because you can oh see gosh, someone's yeah. like hanging out with someone else and you're like, okay, our friendship faded, but like clearly... Yes. Yes. I love, love that point because that definitely is true, right? A lot of friendships have faded and become more distanced over the last few months and years and other friendships have really intensified and, and, and have held on. So that definitely plays into it as well. You know, I think we can definitely be as transparent here as we are comfortable being. It, we really often feel like, again, I think we said this last time in our last conversation, in our friendships, we really struggle with that type of transparency and mm-hmm. vulnerability. Whereas if we were looking, for example, to get back with an ex, we'd probably be pretty clear about our intentions. Yeah, And it's really hard to do that in our friendships. And so saying something like, you know, I've been doing a lot of thinking and I really miss, miss our friendship and I, I miss that time that we used to have together. Um, would you be open to reconnecting or can we catch up soon and and engage in the follow through? Because how yeah. often do we say that? Let's catch up. Let's get together. Yeah. And and it, those words kind of lose their meaning after a while. It can feel really empty. Um, so say it and mean it. Follow through. Be the one to initiate, which is so scary. But people are often really receptive to that. I, I Okay. Great advice. I like it. I like this question because I think uh, it relates to a lot of the body work that we do here. How do you deal with a friend who puts herself down all the time while you are learning to stop doing that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is this is a really important question. And by the way, since we last spoke, you also had a book come out. So congratulations oh, on that. Thank that you. Makes me think of that. Thank you. Um, here's where my mind goes with this. Again, there's the two pieces to this, right? There's the first piece, which is that it's hard to see a friend berate themselves mm-hmm. and criticize themselves. And especially when we work so hard to try and be compassionate to our friends and when we care about somebody to see them just be their own worst enemy is is upsetting and frustrating, frankly. And so it's okay in a very gentle way to let a friend know, you know, it. I don't like hearing you talk to yourself like that. Like, don't don't talk about my friend that way, right? That's That's an okay thing to say just as a gentle reminder to somebody that – they don't have to speak to themselves like that. And we certainly wouldn't speak to them that way. The second piece of this, though, is that it might be very triggering for us, especially as the person who submitted this question alluded to, which is that we might be doing our own inner work. And so in that sense, I think boundaries here can also be very important. So letting your friend know that you care about them, you want them to speak to themselves with kindness and compassion. Uh, but it's also okay to let a friend know what the kinds of conversations that we're not willing to have or the kinds of topics that we're just not comfortable exploring together. Um, and setting boundaries can take a lot of different um, a lot of different forms. But yeah. sometimes being frank is is the most effective way because if we beat around the bush and if we try and be vague and wishy-washy, people aren't really going to know what we need. Yeah. Say, you know what? I... I don't like it when you speak to yourself like that. And I I need to let you know, I'm really, I'm finding this hard for myself too. And I'm really working on um, positive self-talk or I'm just really not comfortable talking about these things right now. And I hope that you can respect that. And I know that that this is hard for you and I want you to feel supported, but this is something that's just, it's just hard for me right now. And I'm not in a place where I can have that kind of talk. Put up a loving fence. Yes. Yes. Love, loving (laughs) fence. I love that. It's, um, that is from Daddy's Home with Will Ferrell. Okay. Uh, Loving fence. Yeah. (laughs) That's great. Thank you, Will Ferrell. Um, okay. I've got our next question is an email question. Laura, I'm sorry we had to shorten it. 
for the podcast. But the gist is this. Laura lives in a house. She's the only person in her friend group who lives in a house. She's an excellent host. She loves hosting. The problem is she's the only one who initiates plans. She's always hosting. She is never invited ever anywhere. Her friends are, are, they bring things, they'll bring wine and appetizer, but she doesn't know how to tell them that she would like to come to their house also. And that she doesn't always just want to be the one who's initiating. And she feels if she doesn't initiate, she'll never see anyone again. So how does she get out of this cycle of constantly hosting or being the one to call on friends to get together? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost as if she's she's the host by default, right? She's yes. the initiator by default just because she's the one who has the space and, and is a wonderful host and people like to chip in, sure, but that it just kind of slides into that way of connecting all the time. She's expected to do it. Yeah. I mean – Kudos to you for being such a wonderful host, first of all. That's that's really nice. And it can feel very good to invite our friends and welcome them into our homes. And it sounds like people are contributing in, in meaningful ways. So that yeah. is important to uh, both acknowledge to ourselves, because when we're in that place of feeling taken advantage of or frustrated, it's really easy to overlook the small things that our friends are doing. Yeah. And so, sure, letting our, you know, letting reminding ourselves they are chipping in here, and even letting your friends know when you decide if you decide to broach this conversation. You know, I I love how you're always so willing to bring over some kind of dessert for our get togethers. That really um, means a lot to me. So acknowledging the things that our friends are doing, but then coming at it from a place of both sharing what we're feeling, I'm feeling like I could use a little bit of newness and variety. Yeah. And I'd love to be able to connect in different places. Or I'm feeling like I'm always the one initiating. You know, I, I love how this person put it. I, I'm feeling like I'm always the one initiating and I'm really wondering, like, uh, I'm feeling like if I don't make plans, are we going to be able to connect? It's okay yeah. to question that and bring that up with friends. But my advice would really be to try and give some options here, right, of, of what would be helpful. Because our friends might struggle mm. to know what other types of activities we could do together or they could do together, especially when it is fun to connect in, in a, you know, for a potluck at home, for example. So I'm feeling like I'm always the one who's initiating plans or planning these get-togethers. It, it'd feel really good for me if if I could not be in the initiator role for once. And that doesn't mean that I don't want to connect. Quite the opposite. It's that I'm bringing this up because I, I want to stay connected and find new ways to connect. And I think a lot of us can relate, too, to that experience of we're stuck in a bit of a rut in our friendships, yeah. right? We're doing the same thing over and over again. And so bringing that aspect into it, too, can be helpful of like, let's 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 spice it up. Let's do something new. I'd love to not be the initiator for once. Is that something we can make happen? And how can I how can I facilitate that in, in a more passive role, right? Like, let's brainstorm together other types of activities we could do or other places we get, could get together. Being really um, disclosing and and sharing freely, yeah. like, I'd love to come to your place if ever you're open to that. Like, I'd really like to see your home or, or you know, see your apartment, see how you're putting it together, how it's coming together. Or any of that kind of language could also be helpful because it lets our friends know that, you know, we – we care about them and and we just want to be a part of their life too, not just have them be a part of ours. I also, I want to say, I think the worry behind some of this is that you're dealing with a one-sided friendship. Yes. Um, and that leads into our next question, which Maddie so kindly has gathered from voicemail and is going to play for us. 
Hi, Katie. Um, just have a question here. So I have some friends that I was friends with all through college and the years after college. And then I just noticed over the last few months that they've been hanging out and I'll see them on social media together. But then, you know, I'm not getting the invite and I live relatively close by and oh. I'll just get invited for birthdays and not the, you know, normal weekends together. And I don't know what to think of it. Do I, you know, try to make more of an effort to hang out with them or do I just try to start drift away? I feel like when I do hang out with them, it's I'm initiating the plans. They're never reaching out to me and I don't want to keep having this one-sided relationship or do I fight for it or do I just let it go? Thank you. God, man, I've been there. Yeah, well, it turns out a lot of people have been there. So this makes me think, I, I can't remember if we spoke about this last time, but it bears repeating because I think it's always so shocking. There was some research that was done on unreciprocated friendships. Yes. Which is, I think, oh, I love this. Yes, okay. please. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this is the stat that I need to share in every conversation I ever have about friendship. So there, there was this study that was done looking at whether friendships were reciprocated, which means, you know, I say or I consider you a friend, um, but do you agree? And it was about 50% of friendships were not reciprocated, which is shocking and I think really helps to normalize how common this experience is. And I mean, this is far less scientific, but in my Instagram community recently where we talk a lot about different types of friendship challenges and experiences, the experience of a one-sided friendship came up. And so I did this little poll and the overwhelming majority of people who voted, it was something like 98% of people shared that, yes, they've been in this one-sided friendship. And so I think the first step is really to to normalize this. That doesn't make it any less painful, mm. but it does help us to depersonalize the experience. Yeah. Because when we're in that place of feeling as though a friendship is not reciprocated or not reciprocated in the way we like, we blame ourselves. What have I done wrong? What's wrong with me? Why are all these other people connecting and I'm the one who's left out? Of course, we're going to go to that place. But it does help to remember that we're not alone in feeling that. So I think that is really the most important step in all of this. The second piece is to think about, are there things that I need to be doing to create more balance in my friendship? So maybe it does mean initiating more, voicing that you'd like to be a part of those get-togethers, expressing how it makes you feel when you feel left out. But the third piece is also important, which is to really question, how do I feel when I'm spending time with these people? Ugh. Not just when I feel left out, but do I yeah. actually enjoy being around them? And do I feel like I can be myself? Do I feel like our friendship is what it used to be? Because very often it's not. And so we're in this place where we feel like, well, I, I want to be included, but I actually kind of don't necessarily want to feel that yeah. sense of of connectedness with this person. And if that's the case, then yeah, it might be time to distance ourselves in whatever form that takes. But we so often hold on to friendships that have kind of run their course. Um, and and I, I, I'm obviously a huge advocate for fighting for friendship. <laughs> I have done that. Yeah. Yeah, like we can we can make it work. We can work through challenges and we we should, you know, for the friendships that we are invested in to maintain, but we don't have to. And I think that piece of it is really crucial to keep in mind. If we are around people that don't make us feel good about ourselves, we don't have to stay connected to them. Like I, I shared these words a couple of days ago again on my Instagram community, choose people who choose you, right? 
how often do we not do that? And there are people who are choosing us in our lives. And there yeah. are new people that we haven't yet connected with that we would choose to surround ourselves with and that would be equally thrilled to connect with us. And it's just a matter of really investing our time and energy in those relationships because we're very short on time and energy as adults. Wow. That's really uh, – it's, it's actually quite healthy advice. And I think it's something that people just have a really hard time with. My, I've, I've, been, I've had such a hard time with that in the past, letting something go, watching people get together and I'm not included and just being like, what did I do? Did I do something wrong? And I think the truth is that it's not that you did something wrong. It just might be that you've changed, they've changed, the situation's changed, and it's Absolutely. no longer a long-term fit. Yeah. And they're more like Christmas card friends or like, Catch up once a year, friends. It's and and that's okay too. That is okay. And that's what we call a downgraded friendship. It's downgraded. not necessarily a full-on friendship breakup, right? You're not cutting this person yeah. out of your life. There hasn't been a betrayal uh where you think I, you know, I I no longer want to see yeah. or speak to this person, but you're just not as close. And there are ways to maintain our connections and more casual ways and those can yeah. be meaningful in their own right. Uh so it doesn't have to be all or nothing. I think that's that's yeah, something to keep in mind. Okay. We're back to Instagram. Okay. A friend of 20 plus years went MIA after I got married. I feel okay without the friendship, but do I try to salvage it out of loyalty and honor for history? Will I regret letting it die? Sounds like she doesn't like your partner. W- will she regret letting the friendship die? Yeah. With the friend who's already checked out? Yeah. Hmm. I mean, there's my guess is there's a lot of nuance and context here that's very important that we yeah. don't know. So it's hard to answer. But where my mind goes, I'll be transparent, is, well, why are you taking full responsibility for the ending of this friendship? Yeah. Why, why is it on you that the friendship has or will die if this person has already checked out? Don't you kind of think after someone gets married, if a friend disappears, more likely than not, it's because – they don't they don't like your partner and they don't like who you are with your partner. It definitely can be, but here's the thing. So yes, I that happens. I've heard that, I've seen that, it happens. But there are a lot of other reasons why friends disappear, mm. right? And some of them have absolutely nothing to do with us. Friend is struggling with their mental health. They're going through a family challenge that we don't know about. They oh, are sure. struggling uh f- questioning what's next for them in their life. They're right so much of our struggles are are not shared publicly, even with the people that we're closest to. And so, again, it's very easy to personalize a friend's absence when, in fact, it might have nothing to do with us. That being said, this can be a big juncture and transition point in a lot of friendships, right? When a when a friend gets married, starts a new relationship like we were talking about yep. before, starts As a family. A baby. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there are all kinds of reasons why that strains our friendships. But if a friend has truly disappeared, you know, yeah, it might be worth checking in and saying, you know, I'm thinking of you. Is everything okay? I'm here if you ever want to chat, especially if we want to maintain that connection. But we don't have to take full responsibility for the ending of a friendship. Yeah, that's so that's so true. It's it's um, I can check in on you and say, are you okay? You've gone away and I don't have to assume that it's something I've done. Yeah, That's and you great. can we can raise that right if there's a, if there's a, I'm I'm open to feedback right if there's anything that I've done yeah. to contribute to this like I just want you to know I'm I'm here and I'm ready to talk about yeah. it. Yeah, uh, 
But I would also caution that it's helpful to do that if we ourselves, again, are motivated to maintain this friendship. Because what we don't want to have happen is the friend reach out, air their grievances, or share what's really hard for them, and then decide, actually, I was better off without you in my life. And now I'm going to be the one to cut you out. Yeah. Um, Because it sounds like the friend has kind of put up some very clear boundaries in this situation, um, albeit in a more indirect way. So we want to kind of respect that. We have more wedding drama to cover. Um, I think, I think just the second someone, it's like, this happens so frequently. The second someone gets engaged and then you've got to deal with, God forbid you're a bridesmaid or you're not a bridesmaid. Mm -hmm. There's so much friendship drama. And I've got a question here. It says, how do I say I don't want to be friends with someone after I was just in her wedding? She treats me like crap. Which I think is very is I think that that's just like a side people can really see during a wedding. Mm-hmm. Yes, I mean emotions are running high, expectations are running high, expectations f- for our friends are potentially running high yes. at that time too, right? We have an idea of what that experience is going to be like, not just in terms of our marriage later on, which hopefully is the focus, right? But also what the wedding will be like and also what the friendship component of that whole life experience will be like, right? Going on a bachelorette trip together, if that's something we're doing. Oh, the money. Yeah. Expectations are running high. And so it makes sense that there would be complicated feelings that come up and that there's the potential for conflict. So this person is not alone in, in this experience. It's interesting because there's the two pieces to this, right? There's the piece of, well, how do I end a friendship? Yeah. How do I let go of this person? And then it also sounds like there's the piece of, well, how do I do that at a time in my life when I feel beholden to this person? Whether it's owe them something or when we've just shared this experience, it just makes that decision to let go a little bit more loaded. Yeah. But I guess what's the alternative, right? The alternative is faking your friendship for long enough that there's some distance between the wedding and – your friendship breakup. I've done that. That's happened yeah. to me. And then I and then I come back. Mm-hmm. You just need like a bit of space because that person changed into a different human. Yeah. And then you got to wait till they come back. And if and they might not come back, but usually they come back. Right. Okay. So I see what you're saying. You're saying create that distance. Yes. So with you don't the hate possibility of of reconnecting, yes. as opposed to, I guess, what I was talking about was this feeling of, well, should we, should we just wait for the inevitable? Right? Do we just do we just wait to end this friendship because they got married yeah. a couple of weeks ago? And am I waiting several months just so I can say it's several months? I out? don't even think you need to. Well, unless you do need to air grievances too, because sometimes people you're spending fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah, you're getting yelled at about like yeah, not not having the right like. I don't shoe. It's there's a lot of weddings give seem to give people permission to be rude to people they love a lot of the time. Yes. Beautifully said. And I think the take home point is that we want to give ourselves permission to let go of friendships that again do not lift us up. Yeah, I like that. And that experience of giving ourselves permission to let go is such a common theme in uh, friendship therapy with clients um, that I work with because we have all sorts of reasons why we hold on to friendships, right? We think we should, we have to, it's not the right time, yeah. it's too scary to let go. And what's driving that often is fear, right? Fear of being alone, fear of conflict, fear of hurting yeah. someone. But we're sacrificing our own well-being. And yeah. this is the big thing, right? 
it doesn't, it, there's a real cost here. So our friendships, the quality of our friendships is directly linked with our mental health and our physical well-being. So all of the research that comes out shows us that feeling connected to our friends and having healthy friendships is actually one of the best and biggest predictors of how long we live, how healthy we are, and how happy we are. Wow. Yes. Above and beyond or on par with things like smoking, drinking, exercising. So there is a very real cost here that I think a lot of us underestimate. And when we look at it through that lens of, well, you know, choosing to stay connected to this person because I feel like I have to or because I'm scared to let go. Yeah. um, That decision is going to have a very big impact or can have a very big impact, not just on my well-being right now, but potentially later on as well. It sometimes makes it a little bit easier to make a decision that feels voluntary Hmm. and not forced. Okay. All right. To take us back to the email. Um, email is from Kelly. I was recently on a girls' trip with 50 moms from my local community. Whoa. That's I a want to lot. hear about that trip. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> I normally feel confident around people, but there is something about being on a beach in a bathing suit with mm-hmm. around half the moms that made me question my size and worth. Yeah. Mm. Even though I've seen these moms at the town pool, I was suddenly aware that their focus wasn't on their kids but could have been focused on me. I spent a lot of time comparing my body to that of other moms. I was aware that they had very little cellulite rolls, jiggly bits. Um, I became acutely aware of my own body image problems. In this situation, what can I do to ground myself and remember that they probably aren't judging me? I know that this is mostly me judging myself and comparing myself to others. How do I get that logical piece of my brain to be louder than the emotional piece that's screaming to hide in a cover-up? Well said. Well said. You know, there's so much in here that I think so many of us relate to. And there's a lot of interesting starting points here because I think some of the language that this person used was they could have been looking at me, thinking about me, judging me. Right. And also noticing that a lot of that judgment was coming from within. Right. And that's one thing that we often do. We often, our own insecurities, we project them onto others. All of us assume that people are uh, far more preoccupied with us than they might really be. You know, so just to take this one example, there's 50 moms on a beach. My guess is that this person is not the only mom who's feeling very uncomfortable (laughs) in their own body, right? And and motherhood just amplifies that in so many ways because our bodies are new and they are changing and it's 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 a work in progress and it's work that's frankly not necessarily ever done, right? It's 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 a practice. It's not an endpoint. And so I think what we really want to think about is, well, how can I practice that compassion? And what that really looks like and what I find is a very helpful starting point for shifting from that, uh, you know, emotional place to more of a practical place here first is to validate uh it makes sense that i'm that i'm concerned about this it's okay that i'm finding this hard Uh i'm allowed to feel this way and then asking ourselves two questions one is well what would i say to a friend who was in this moment who was struggling with this and going through the exercise of not just asking ourselves that question passively, but then answering it and then answering it to ourselves, even out loud or writing it down, really working to channel that 
kindness that we so easily give to others within. The other question that can be very helpful is what would a younger me need to hear right now? Because so often when we're interacting with a child, it's a lot easier to channel that compassion. And sometimes the messages that we wish we would have heard when we were younger are the very things that we need to hear in that moment. So what would I say to a friend or what would a younger me need to hear right now? That is a very helpful way of kind of snapping out of that headspace where we are just so self-critical and so preoccupied um, with discomfort. There are lots of other strategies that can help here too, though. Sometimes a grounding exercise is really helpful. Oh, yeah. That, you know, taking a few deep breaths and asking myself, okay, what are five things I can see right now, four things I can feel, three things I can hear, two things I can taste, one thing I can smell. That, those types of exercises can be really helpful because it allows us to access the present moment as opposed to more of the language center of our brain, which is where a lot of self-criticism sometimes comes from. So that's another helpful strategy. Um, but yeah, really, I think self-compassion here is is the biggest piece. Great. I love that. I'm writing that down. Another practice that I sometimes use with clients, because it's very easy to focus on appearance, and I, I use this in my own life as well, is to focus on our gratitude for what our bodies can do, yeah. not for what they look like or what we're concerned they look like, right? So I, if this is happening on a beach and you've just gone for a really nice walk along the water, reminding yourself, I'm I'm so thankful that you know my body was able to to take me for that walk. And that felt really good to have the sand between my toes. Or I'm so thankful that I was able to just jump in the ocean and uh, experience that feeling in yeah. my, um, on body, in my body. That too can be a different headspace to get into that can be comforting. Yeah, I, I really like that. I think in large groups of women, sometimes it, it's just natural to start this type of what's wrong with me dialogue. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I, as you said, it's important to identify what you're feeling. Um, and not just to keep trying to push it down because then you get in a weird headspace and then you're being weird and then you want to leave. I, I don't know. I, I, yeah. I think you gave great advice. <laughs> Our next email is from a different Kelly. So many Kellys on here. This is something I'm paraphrasing her her request, but her best friend is habitually late. It makes her crazy. She doesn't mean five minutes. It's more like she's sitting at the restaurant through appetizers by herself and she generally, um, Spends most of their time together being angry about the first half of the of their time together, which I this has happened. I I would love to know your answer on this. I've got this. This is a real thing in my life. Okay, well, I'm curious about your experience too. But here's here's where here's where my mind goes. So part of the research that I did on adult friendship a couple years back was to identify. And look at what are the most common challenges that come up in our friendship. So what are the conflicts or betrayals that are just happening across the board to so many of us? And which are those that are most upsetting and most likely to interfere in our friendships or our well-being in some way? And what we call reliability transgressions are one of the Again, most common, most challenging types of friendship experiences. And so this would certainly fall under that umbrella because we expect our friends to show up when they say they will. We expect our friends to call when they say they will. That is that is a fundamental expectation of friendship that we frankly learn when we're very young. And it's 
okay to expect that. Uh, now, that's very different than saying, you know, our friends can't be five minutes late or that there aren't extenuating circumstances, but it sounds like this is very much a pattern, which is the most important, I think, kernel here, which is that this isn't a one-of. This is something that keeps happening, both in terms of this friend showing up and those feelings of resentment that are building uh, when we're sitting there waiting for this friend to appear. I would say this is a situation where boundaries are very much needed. And it's funny. It makes me think I had I had a group of friends uh, when I was younger, and they would always show up late. And so they would be given a different starting time for yeah. events than I would or other friends. Yeah. And that was the way that some of us made it work, which ended up working out. Um, but that would be a slightly more passive way of going about it because yeah. you're not actually addressing the fundamental issue here, which is that there's a lack of respect for yes. one's time, right? Yes. It's not just about I I I have to eat my salad alone. Um it's that I've told you that that bothers me. Yes. Or I've I, made the time. Ideally, right? I've I've made the time, I've prioritized yeah. this and I want to feel like a priority to you too and I want to feel like my feelings is a are a priority to you as yeah. well. And so I think what can work for a lot of people in these situations is to to share that in a very clear and respectful way. Yeah. I find this very difficult. If you haven't had these discussions before, that would be my my first, you know, recommendation is to broach it. Let a friend know because sometimes they might not think it's that big of a deal and they yeah. see it very differently. I think a lot of times they think it's like a charming Oh, here I am. I'm late. I'm late again. This is you a personality me. trait. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yeah. Yes. So taking it from that place of I don't actually find this all that charming or funny. Yeah. And what I end up feeling is frustrated and angry and resentful. And I don't want to feel that in our friendship. And I don't want that to get in the way of us hanging out and connecting in a meaningful way. So here's what I need from you. I need you to show up when you say you will. Yeah. And if you can't, then I won't be able to make these kinds of plans with you. Mm. Maybe dinner is not the best way for us to connect because I don't like sitting there alone for half the meal. Is there something else we could do? That's another That's example nice. of a boundary. It's not saying I'm no longer seeing you, although many people will take that route and and that's okay as well, right? It's 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 figuring out what makes sense for us in this friendship. But it doesn't, again, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It doesn't have to be either you show up on time or we're not friends. It might be you show up on time or we're not doing these kinds of plans again, or I'm not hanging, I'm, I'm not able, I'm not going to initiate plans, right? There's different ways that we can voice that. And I think the key is to make it very clear that we're, coming at that not from a place of trying to punish the other person. I'm not saying this because I, you know, want you to feel really bad or feel really badly and because I I I'm over our friendship. I'm sharing this because this is getting in the way of our friendship and I value our friendship and unless we find a way to work through this, it's going to be really hard for me to stay close to you. If we can approach it from that framework in a respectful clear way, people are often very receptive to that and they will hopefully see it in a very different way. But again, the only thing we have control over is ourselves. We can't control what somebody else does. And so if after a certain point we've made it clear how we feel about it, what we expect and what we're no longer willing to do, and they still aren't responding, well, then we're in a very different place where we will have to make some difficult decisions. I'll take that for myself. Thank you. <laughs> All of these things are so much easier said than done, though, right? It's it's hard to have those kinds of conversations. It's hard to call anyone out, frankly, on their behavior. It's hard to voice what we need, even even that, right? Even just not even in a, a place of um, 
I'm hurt, right? But just voicing what it is we need. I, I want to feel close to you. Here's what I actually find helpful. Here's what I find supportive. It's really hard to do that across the board, especially in our friendships. This this next one um, is an email from Kristen. My best friend of 40 years has been struggling with addiction for the past few years. When she finally came clean about everything, I helped support her through stints in rehab. Upon telling me how she felt she wasn't getting the support from her husband, I suggested she talk with her counselor or any other support she had from rehab. She relapsed recently and in a heated argument while she was under the influence, she said some really mean things to me and told me I didn't care about her. This is about farthest, the farthest thing from the truth. We haven't spoken in months. I really do miss my best friend, but because of her illness, she has many excuses on why she doesn't have a problem. It's been like dealing with a death and I'm just not sure how to mend the relationship, especially because she cannot see she has a problem. Do I wait until she hits rock bottom and realizes her mistakes, or do I try to be there for her and ignore the abuse when she's under the influence? This is a tough one. This yeah. is a this is you know this is real. This is real life, and this is a a hard part of of many people's lives because addiction again doesn't just impact the person who is struggling it impacts everyone around them and everyone yeah. who cares about them and i think that's part of what's coming up here is how hard it can be to see somebody that we love and care about struggle and to feel so powerless which is often again a reflection of how powerless this other person feels in terms of their relationship with alcohol yeah. or drugs or whatever the addiction is so it's very very layered i mean i i don't think i'm going to be able to give a clear answer here because I it is so layered it's because it is exactly yeah but i do think there are some themes here that are really relevant that a lot of people will connect to and the first is um that validation piece again of how hard it is to support somebody who is struggling and um, I think it really is important that we acknowledge that to ourselves and that, again, we channel that self-compassion. And along with that comes the acknowledgement that we are not responsible for our friend's well-being mm. and that there is a very big difference between caring for somebody and expressing our concern and doing what we feel is within our um, uh, uh, wheelhouse or capability to yeah. to care for this person without taking on the burden of I need to fix this person. I need to solve their problems. I need to be the one who gets them the help that they need. Because when we get into that headspace, it's often an impossible place to be, right? We're we're and especially when we're talking about addiction, but this I think is is true for uh any type of, of struggle, we cannot fix our friends' problems. All we can do is communicate to our friends that we value the friendship, that we're willing to show up for them in hard times, and that we are available to help in whatever way feels realistic. So it sounds like this person did try, right? Uh, expressing concern, suggesting that they speak to a counselor. There's a rehab. lot of ways that, right? Go to rehab. Yeah. There's a lot of different ways that those conversations can unfold in healthy, constructive ways, as difficult as they are. Uh, but I do think that part of the difficulty here is letting go of that belief that we have that power to fix this person's struggles yeah. because we don't. And that's really, really hard. Uh, so I think that that's one theme that's coming up here is just a, that acknowledgement and and that sense of of, of grief too, right? Of, uh, I, I miss the friend that this person used to be. I miss the friendship mm -hmm. that we used to have. That, that that type of loss is a very real loss that often goes unacknowledged, yeah. um, even by ourselves, but, but especially by people around us, right? Um, when it comes to our friendships. So that's very hard. Sometimes we do need to let go of friendships that we 
would really like to hold on to. Right. Yeah. So it sounds like that's that's a bit of the space that this person is in because they haven't spoken in some time. And that's both a reflection of the other friend feeling hurt um, and unsupported and this person feeling as though I've done everything I can and I'm also not being treated very well, yeah. especially when, when um, this person's using or drinking. And so I empathize because it really is difficult and it's important to acknowledge that loss. And it, I think, again, coming out of that theme of permission that – Sometimes we do need to let go and that will feel really good and it'll feel like relief and it'll feel like the thing that we've been waiting for. Do you tell the person you're letting go? Do you write them a letter and say, I've you really know, done what I can do and I'm I'm always here for you? And that is such a personal decision. And so it depends. One of the strategies that I do like to share with clients is write the letter, but maybe write it for yourself mm. even, right? Maybe you want to share this with the friend. Maybe you do want to let them know whether it's in a letter, in person, through a phone call. Look, I'm I'm here for you. I need space and and here's why I need to feel protected. But I want you to know that I care about you and I, I want the best for you and I'm I'm here for you in whatever form that takes, right? Or or not, right? I'm I'm letting go, but I want you to know that this is be, not because I don't care about you. It's just because I need to protect myself and I love you. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's about putting that into writing and processing our own feelings and not necessarily sharing it with the other person, especially if they're not in a place where they're willing or ready to hear connect. That. Yeah, it's a bit of closure. Yeah, for you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Miriam, thank you so much for coming on. And can you please tell us where we can find you? Yeah. So I, this has been such a pleasure. I always love talking with you. So people can find me on my website, miriamkermeyer.com. I have lots of free resources there, um, articles, podcast interviews. Uh, you can also sign up for my newsletter community, which actually gives you a link to my favorite resources on friendship. So books, journals, um, card decks, things like that. And uh, definitely check out my Instagram community at Miriam Kermeyer, where I talk a lot about different friendship challenges and try and normalize some of this and share some guidance. I like it. That's it for this episode of Boob Sweat. I want to thank Dr. Miriam Kermeyer for joining me. You can find her at Miriam Kermeyer on Instagram and miriamkermeyer.com on the internet. And just so you know, the information and guidance we discuss is not a replacement for individual therapy or care. Have a question or a comment? Call our hotline at 201-701-1575. That's also in the show notes if you didn't write it down. And you could be featured on the pod or email us at boobsweatproductions at gmail. If you like the show, please rate and review wherever you listen because that shit is important. Here's a review from Benga, 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 exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Amazing. This is the only podcast I have ever enjoyed. I listen all the time. Katie, more episodes, please. Well, here you go, Benga, Benga. If you can't get enough of me on your phone and in your ears, then you should check out my book, Body Talk, which is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and anywhere good books are sold. This show is produced by Wonder Wheel Media with help from Madison Higley. (laughs) Oh, and thanks to Cheese and John, who always seem to make noise when we record the show. You can follow me at Katie Storino on Instagram to keep the conversation going. This podcast is over. Lovely. Woo! The best one yet. I've got to tell you, that was the best best ever. I don't know. Casually. Yes.